So if you have your Bible, go and grab those. Today we'll be reading from uh, John 7. I'll be reading from verses 40 through 53. I might just back up to verse 37 just on my own accord. Uh, Before we read our text this morning, I would like to kind of put it in the context of the Gospel of John. When we walk into John chapter 7, Jesus has been ministering to the nation of Israel for two and a half years. He's been healing them. He's been feeding them from a happy meal, 20,000 people. He's ministered to them. He's taught them. And kind of when we walk into John chapter 7, how have the crowds responded? You could characterize it with mass hysteria, but some have believed, some have opposed, but most are just wildly confused on who this Jesus guy is. So we walk into this uh, sea of uh, this tumultuous sea of opposition and confusion, and that's where we are in John chapter seven. But what I want you to see when we come into John chapter seven, I want you to see the four different groups of people, four different hearts on how they encounter Jesus Christ. Notice it with me. I'll begin in verse thirty-seven, but really we will read verses forty and on. Now, in the last day, the great feast. The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. And others were saying, Well, well this is the Christ. Yet others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendant of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? They're obviously confused. So division, a schism, quite literally, a divide or crack, a division occurred in the crowds because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him right there, but no one was able to lay hands on him. Verse 45 The officers that the Pharisees sent came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him in? And the officer said, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. And the Pharisees then answered them, Have you not been led astray? No one of the rulers and Pharisees has believed in him, has he? Little do they know what is coming. But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Now Nicodemus, who came to him before, being one of them, one of the Pharisees said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And they answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And then everyone went to his home. Amen. I would like to begin today with a question that I would like you personally to answer. Question is, is has your heart grown cold? Has your zeal for the gospel diminished? Has your passion waned under the weights of legalism or disappointment or monotony? The Bible tells us that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we should love the Lord our God with all of our mind, with all of our soul. And with all of our heart, has your heart grown cold? Sometimes in the Christian life, we become vaccinated to Christianity. We get just enough to be immune to the real thing. 
I would imagine this is a temptation of all of our hearts, but especially of mine, being vaccinated to the passion, to the heart beating for Jesus Christ is something that I have struggled with all of my life. Uh, you may or may not know this, but I grew up in a Christian family, a wonderful Christian family, great parents and great siblings, and I uh, went to Westminster Christian Academy. Anybody else go there as a young? Okay, no one? Okay, I'm the only one. All right. Uh, but growing up in a Christian family, in a Christian school, all I heard about was Jesus this and Jesus that. And Jesus, the, the idea of becoming a Christian, of following Jesus Christ, became something that I knew and not something that I was supposed to be passionate for. You know, every day I grew up, I went to Bible class, you know, and I learned about the Israelite kings, and I learned about Abraham, and I learned about the church in Acts, and it all just became wah, wah, wah. But then, when I was about 18 years old, a great awakening happened in my life. It actually happened here at Calvary Bible Church. A new youth pastor came to this church and told me, Something that I had probably heard, but I never took in, that he said that, you know, you're not supposed to just know about God, but you're supposed to love God and feel God, be passionate for Him, that God has created us as Christians, as human beings, as emotional beings. That we're not just supposed to know facts about Him, but that we're supposed to know Him passionately. And I remember that message some almost 20 years ago. I never heard that before. That I'm not just supposed to know facts and figures. I'm not just supposed to know all of the answers to all the Bible quizzes in my life. But I'm supposed to know Him from my heart. That loving God is not just pertaining to my mind, not just pertaining to my actions, but also pertaining to the emotions that God has given me. The gospel, Jesus Christ, invigorates our lives. That any time we hear of Jesus, every week that comes by and we're preaching through the gospel of John, I've probably been in it close to a year now. (laughs) But, sorry, I won't talk about that. But I've been in it for a year and we got like five more years to go, so just hang on. Okay. But every week that we come here, it should not grow old. Because the gospel does not grow old, it does not weary, it it, it is rivers of life. It is meant to grant to us not only eternal life, but earthly life that changes forever. The, The Jesus Christ that I see here, whenever the crowds, whenever the people, whenever Nicodemus, whenever the disciples interact with Jesus, it changes their lives, not only from a mental aspect, but also from an emotional aspect. That when we encounter Jesus in the scripture, it grants to us life, passion, energy, and a passionate heart speaks of Jesus at all times. One of the things I've noticed in this town, especially in Huntsville, Alabama, in a town that is full of hyper-intelligent, hard-working people in Huntsville, Alabama, we are a very unique city in America, one of the things I've noticed in Huntsville is that we have this uh, insatiable appetite for knowledge. That we just cannot get enough information. But then we, we kind of have that one done and well, which we should. But then we also, we probably work for Jesus Christ. We serve, love God with our soul. But oftentimes, our heart for Jesus can wilt under the weight of information or expectation or under the weight of rules, and slowly our hearts can become cold to the gospel in Jesus Christ. 
A passionless heart is a heart that is distant from God. Today we see four different groups of people interact or encounter God. And we see there are four different reactions. We see the first heart is one that is confused. They don't really know what to make of this Jesus guy. They haven't really figured out who he is. We see a heart that is receptive, that is passionate. We see the effect of a passionate heart. We see a heart that is cold. One that rejects Jesus Christ, even though they have been exposed to the gospel and the life-giving rivers of life that he has presented to them time and time again. And then we see a fourth heart, a heart that is on a journey. And he is slowly transformed until we see him at the end after Jesus' death and we see him transformed in John chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, turn in those again to John chapter 7. And today we will unpack the four hearts that we see in John chapter 7. We will see the four effects of a heart that encounters Jesus. And we come after John chapter 7 as Jesus has unfolded who he truly is and the message of the gospel in John chapter 7 verses 37 through 39. And that's where we pick up and the crowds have heard the message of truth that he is the Messiah, that he's the son of God, that by faith in him they can have eternal life. And that's where we pick up in verse 40. And the first heart that encounters Jesus says, Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Notice the definite article there. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. This is certainly the prophet. And others were saying, No, this is the Christ. And still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee. Those people, is he? Has the scripture not said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there rose a division, a schism, a crack. A, a division occurred in the crowd because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. When you hear Jesus, you cannot remain the same. What I find amazing in the crowds is that they cannot be neutral. They have to make a decision when they hear Jesus' message of the gospel, that Jesus changes things. That whenever we come to church, that whenever we open our Bible in a personal devotion, anytime we have a Bible study, anytime we fellowship with other believers, anytime we pray, it should change our lives. We cannot stay the same. But then notice the story here in John chapter 7, verses 40 through 44. How would you characterize the crowds? Uh, you would say in one aspect that they're they invigorated, right? That Jesus seemingly came by and kicked over a beehive, right? They're just all stirred up. But then also on the second half, they're totally confused. If you notice here, there's several different characteristics that the crowds use of Jesus. That some people call him the prophet, some people call him the Christ, and then some people say, well, he can't be the Christ because he grew up in Galilee. But if you notice there, it says some people call him the prophet. Now, the definite article is very important. Uh, there's a mix-up that in a lot of other religions, they consider Jesus to be a prophet, but here he is the prophet. In the original language of Greek, the definite article is there. The Israelites recognize that this guy named Jesus is the prophet. Okay? So what are they, what are they, what are they referring to? If you're familiar with Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, Deuteronomy 8, 
18 shares words from Moses that came 1,400 years earlier than when Jesus came on the scene. And Moses' words echo into the first century. This is out of Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. It says this, I will raise up, God will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So the Jews in the first century that are hearing the message of Jesus Christ, they're hearing the message of the gospel that this Jesus is the Son of God, they're hearing his words, that they say that this Jesus must be speaking the words of God, therefore he is the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And guess what? They're right. That Jesus is the prophet that is spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18, which we unpacked further in John chapter 1. But this idea of Jesus being only the prophet is incomplete. Notice the second characteristic that they give to Jesus. Some people say that he is the Christ. Now, unless I put you to sleep over the last few months... Uh, we know that the word Christ there is designated the word Messiah. That's not Jesus' last name. But the word Christ means the anointed one or the Messiah. So these Israelites are, are, are battling between themselves, thinking, okay, this guy is the prophet. Oh, no, 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 he is the Christ, which he is. But then notice the flip side of things. Then notice kind of the first question they ask in verse 41. Still others are saying, surely the Christ... Is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. And they are correct. They say, wait, wait, Jesus can't be the Messiah. Why? Because he has to be born in a little town called Bethlehem because he's from the house of David. Guess what happened? What did we just get done talking about? Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story that Jesus was born in a little town called Bethlehem. So all of these things are true. But what's the problem here? You know, what's the confusion that the crowds have here? I believe they're confused for one main reason. That they have a deficient view of who Jesus truly is. That some people think he's only the prophet. Some people think he is only the Christ. And then some people think there's no way that this Jesus guy could be the Christ because we don't know that he was born in a little town called Bethlehem. The people are totally confused because they have a deficient view of who Jesus is. They think he could only be one of these things. But what have we unpacked so far in the Gospel of John? That Jesus is all of these things. And praise the Lord for it. That he is the prophet, that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is sovereign, that he is the creator, that he is the embodiment of God incarnate. No wonder that they're confused. Because they, they only see one little aspect of who Jesus is. They say, well, he can only be the prophet, he can only be the Christ, oh, he can't be that because of this. But what they should do is they should just take a step back and see Jesus for who he truly is. The big picture. Because Jesus is all of those things. I think here today that there are people in this room that are the crowds. That are just simply confused on who Jesus truly is. If your heart is confused... 
about Jesus, then you are suffering from a deficient view of Jesus. If you lack vigor, if you've been inoculated to the passion of Jesus Christ that he commands us to have, then maybe your view of God, of Jesus Christ, is incomplete. Maybe you just believe he's some uh, teddy bear in the sky that is meant to give me good things. Maybe you believe that he's just a good man or a good teacher, or he's just a prophet, or he's just the Messiah, or he's just the Son of God. But as I unpack the Gospel of John, and one of the beauties of taking ten years to unpack the Gospel of John is that you unpack every nook and cranny, because he's all those things. If your heart is confused, if your heart is not passionate for Jesus Christ, then maybe your picture of him is incomplete. It is deficient. We see a confused heart suffers from a deficient view of Jesus Christ, but then we see a passionate heart, a receptive heart. And notice the change that happens. Verse 45. The officers, we've seen them before. Wait a second. The officers that were sent by the Pharisees earlier in John chapter 7 and verse 32, the officers then came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, why? We sent you to bring him in, and why didn't you do it? Why did you not bring him in? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Verse 47, the Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one, no one of the rulers of Pharisees has believed in him, has he? What's the irony there? They're about to find out one person who has. But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. So what happened here? That the officers that were meant, were sent to arrest Jesus, what do they do? They probably here profess and believe in Jesus, right? The very people that were meant to arrest Jesus so that he could be tried and killed were the ones that were converted to Jesus after hearing his words. Now, talk about your all-time backfire, okay? That the very guards that were meant to arrest Jesus do not arrest Jesus, but instead come back professing to the truth that Jesus has spoken. Notice what they say. Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. I believe the guards and officers here reflect to us a heart that is passionate and receptive to the gospel. Because if you notice here earlier in John chapter 7, what did they hear in 7, chapter 7, 32 through 39? They heard that Jesus is from the Father and that he plans to return to heaven. And that in verses 37 through 39, which we read earlier, that if they would come to him, those who are thirsty, if they would believe in Jesus, then from them would flow eternal life. And so the officers here that were meant to squash Jesus' ministry come to believe in it and be followers of it. And the Pharisees were, I'm sure, very disappointed. And if you notice their chastisement in verse 45, the officer said, Why did you not come to bring him? Verse 47, the Pharisees then answered them, Have you not believed also, or have you not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of Pharisees has believed in him, has he? A receptive heart, a heart that is passionate for Jesus Christ, is one that speaks of Him. A passionate heart for Jesus Christ is one that speaks of Jesus Christ, even in the face of opposition that they know they're going to have before the Pharisees. I would imagine 
How many of you have ever met somebody that's very passionate for the Lord? Okay. What is the one thing they talk about all the time? Amen, right? That's the only way that you know that they're passionate is because Jesus escapes their lips everywhere we, they go. Even in the face of opposition at work or in the face of opposition in their own family, that Jesus and the gospel escapes their lips at all times. Here's the same thing, that you see these officers that were meant to arrest Jesus come back and speak of him before the very people that want to kill him. A passionate heart speaks of Jesus. But then notice a cold heart. We see the crowds, they are confused. We see the officers who receive and are passionate for him. But then you notice the cold-hearted Pharisees. Notice what they do when they encounter Jesus. Verse 47 again. The Pharisees then answered them, You have, also, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But the crowds, this crowd which does not know the law, is accursed. What are the Pharisees concerned with? What is, what, what is their major problem, their entire existence? Is that they are concerned more for being right than even for obeying God. They are more concerned with tying up burdens on, them, on men's shoulders than even loving people. That they are so consumed with how things should be done that they forsake God and His will altogether. The only group of people that Jesus publicly chastised were the Pharisees. And what did Jesus call them? He called them a brood of vipers, but He also called them what? Whitewashed tombs. Clean and pure on the outside, but dead as bones on the inside. And what do their cold hearts do? How can we tell that they are not receptive to the gospel? They try everything in their power to squash the work of God. They are trying everything in their power, legally speaking. The reason that they have Pontius Pilate kill Jesus because they cannot execute anyone under Roman, Roman rule. So they are doing everything in their power to squash Jesus and his work and the reason that they are cold is that they are consumed more for the way things are done than for who even Jesus is in the message that he brings. The very thing that they want to do, which is obey God, is the very thing they do not do because they fail to see Jesus and love Jesus and love God from their heart and just from their head. When I look at, when I look at the Pharisees, it's easy for us to kind of um, just... just kind of distance ourselves from being them. But what I've noticed over the years is that sometimes Christians can even live like a Pharisee, that we are more consumed with the way things should be than for loving people. That we are more consumed with laws and rules and regulations than we are for even what is the will of God. A person or even a Christian that does not have a heart or a passion for Jesus Christ can slowly slip into the life of a Pharisee who is more concerned about abiding by rules than for loving people. And a Christian that does not have an awakened heart for Jesus Christ can stifle God's word rather than fan its flame. 
Allow me to ask you the question, is your heart cold? Is your heart cold just because of the monotony or the legalism of the Christian life? If you're asking yourself the question, okay, is my heart cold? I'm not really sure. Then let me just ask you the question on this one. Uh, Are you quicker to criticize or are you quicker to love? Are you quicker to hold a grudge or are you quicker to forgive? Are you quicker to smash the work of God because of some rule that you think should be abided by? Or are you quicker to listen to the Spirit of God and His Word and how it guides our steps? Has your mind completely overruled your heart to be passionate for the Lord? Has your heart grown cold? A cold heart that encounters Jesus stifles the work of God. I would imagine at times we each can be very cold, that we are far more consumed with the way we think things should be done than for extending love and forgiveness to other people. I have seen that myself many, many times. We see the confused heart in the crowds. We see a passionate, receptive heart in the officers. We see a cold heart in the Pharisees. And then we see a journeyed heart. We see a man that is part of the Pharisees, that, that we see him slowly change over the course of three years during Jesus' ministry. We see him uh, come on the scene in John chapter 3. We see him again, a spark, three verses on his life in John chapter 7. And then we see his heart completely melt and transform in John chapter 19. Notice the journeying heart with me. A heart that goes from being cold to one that is passionate for Jesus Christ. Notice verse 50. And Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? What's he doing there? Verse 52, they answered him, his Peers, they answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Everyone went to his home. Perhaps this is the most shocking plot twist in the entire Gospel of John besides the resurrection itself. Why do I say that? Because here is a man who is a Pharisee. What do we know about Nicodemus when he comes in on the scene in John chapter 3? It says that he is a man of the Pharisees, that the very The very people that are trying to kill Jesus, he is part of. But his problem is more than that. It's compounded. He's he's more than just uh, one of 6,000 Pharisees, but he's also a ruler of the Jews. What does that mean? It means that he is one of 71 members of the Sanhedrin. He is part, we would say, part of the Jewish Supreme Court. So not only is he a Pharisee, one of 6,000, but he's one of 71 of the most important men in all of Israel. And not only that, but he is a teacher. Jesus says to him in John chapter 3, Are you the teacher of the law and you do not understand these things? That Nicodemus is a Pharisee, he's part of the Supreme Court of Israel, but he's also a teacher of the nation of Israel. But what else do we know about him from John chapter 3? We know that he is spiritually aware. He knows that he, they, we know that Nicodemus, Nicodemus knows that Jesus is from God. What else do we know about him? He is spiritually dead. That Nicodemus has done everything in his power to be born again under the law, under the understanding that he has. 
But then also we know that he is scared. In John chapter 3, we meet a man that is fearful. Because how does he come to Jesus in John chapter 3? He comes to him by night. Now, some commentators, when I was reading and studying this over the last, I don't know, I've been preaching this Gospel of John for, what, a year now or something like that. Some commentators disagreed, but I believe the reason he comes to Jesus by night is because he is nervous to be associated with this guy named Jesus. So you see Nicodemus, he's a man of the Pharisees, he's a ruler of the Jews, he is a teacher, he is spiritually dead, he is spiritually aware, but then he is scared. And then what does he do here? He, in a sense, goes before the Pharisees and defends Jesus. What does he say in verse 51? Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? So he goes before his peers and basically says, before you crucify this man named Jesus, before you have him arrested, he should be tried. In a sense, we see his progress. Because in John chapter 3, he is terrified to be associated with Jesus. And now in John chapter 7, he is not fearful to be associated with him. And then in John chapter 19, he brings gifts to Jesus' tomb to, to show to us that he's been fully transformed. That his heart has been softened and now he is a true follower of Jesus Christ. And here we see the slow progress of Nicodemus' transformation. Maybe your heart has been on a journey. One of the things that I love hearing are testimonies, especially from people who come to Christ as adults. If you've ever heard a testimony from an adult, you typically hear a story like Nicodemus, somebody who heard the gospel and has slowly been transformed under Jesus Christ to his heart be softened, and his heart to be passionate for him. But then notice how the Pharisees respond in verse 52 to Nicodemus. We kind of miss their response in our culture. And the Pharisees answered him, You are not also from Galilee. Are you search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee? How do they respond to Nicodemus's defense of Jesus Christ? They insult him. Now, you ask me, how do I arrive at that? But if you notice their response, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Where, where are they in John chapter 7 when all of this unfolds? They are in the region of Judea, in the city of Jerusalem, and they speak of Galileans as kind of subpar. If you've got to take a step back from the Gospel of John and just think about all of the times this culture has mentioned Galilee... The, the culture of Israel mentions Galilee as kind of subpar. You have the Jews of Judea, then you have the Jews from Galilee, and then you have the half-bred Jews of Samaria. And notice that they say, well, Nicodemus, you're kind of part of the subhuman people that where Jesus is supposedly from. But here you see a man named Nicodemus who has encountered Jesus two and a half years earlier, and you see sparks of a spiritual journey of how he has been transformed, of how he is now willing to associate himself with Jesus, of how his heart that was once cold has been slowly melted by the gospel and by the ministry of Jesus Christ.
How's your heart? You are here today, you've encountered Jesus Christ, you've unpacked his word, you've seen his ministry, you've seen the effect. How is your heart? Is it icy cold or is it beating fast? Has the monotony of Christianity worn down your heart to where it no longer feels for the message of the gospel? Because as I see Nicodemus here, he is a man that needs time. Perhaps you are here this morning and you just need time to figure out who this Jesus guy is and his message of the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you don't really know where you stand, if you haven't really figured out if Jesus is true and if he is going to be your Lord and Savior, then I would encourage you to be Nicodemus and not the rich young ruler. Nicodemus here, he has been, he has faced roadblocks, he has, I'm sure he has questioned his faith, questioned this man named Jesus, but I would encourage you to continue to follow Jesus Christ, to have your answers, your questions answered, and I would encourage you not to be the rich young ruler. What happens to the rich young ruler? He has one roadblock. Jesus says, go sell all of your possessions and follow me. And what does it say? That the rich young ruler walked away sad, for he was very wealthy. If you are on the journey to understand who this Jesus guy is, I would encourage you not to quit. Not to have a setback. Not to just stop at the first roadblock that you come to, but that you would continue to follow Jesus Christ. That you would continue having your heart melted and it beating faster and faster for the message of the gospel. We see here Nicodemus on the journey of faith and a journeying heart that encounters Jesus slowly adopts Jesus as their Savior. My question once again is, how is your heart? Are you confused? Are you passionate? Are you cold or are you on a journey? Are you the guards? who hear Jesus one time, and they hear the message of the gospel and that they are changed forever? Are you the Pharisees, who are quicker to squash the work of God than they are to embrace and to listen to the Spirit of God? Are you the crowds who are confused, or are you Nicodemus, who is on a journey to understand who this Jesus guy is, Let me just, let me just, you're one of those, you're one of those four, right where you are. I've already confessed my struggle with putting God into a box and Jesus Christ into the the facts and figures of my brain and putting him in as a God that I try to understand and not a God that I feel and are emotionally compassionate and passionate for. Is that you? Does your heart beat faster when you hear of Jesus Christ and his life-changing message? Has the Gospel of John grown old? We've been in it a long time. I heard an elder this past Tuesday night say, the Gospel of John should never grow old because that's the ministry of Jesus Christ. Does your heart beat fast for Jesus or is it slowly decaying under the weight of rules and monotony? My, 
Let us be like the guards who hear of Jesus one time and their heart is forever changed. But what I love about that story, I love about the image and the message and the example of the guards is that they're not just passionate to themselves. They don't just hide this message inside of themselves, but they are so passionate that they speak of Jesus to the people that are trying to kill him. A passionate heart is one that speaks of Jesus himself. Will we be passionate? Will we be bold with the gospel, even in the face of opposition and to those around us? I'm going to share a quote on passion. God has created me and you to live with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion. Namely, a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. Perhaps you are here today and your heart is journeying. Perhaps you are cold. Or perhaps you are confused. But really, where I would like to just share, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never believed in him, he gives you the message of the gospel, that if you would come to him realizing your own thirst and hunger for spiritual things, realizing that the world cannot satisfy you, realizing that you cannot be good enough to make your way to heaven, that you cannot stack enough bricks to make a ladder to gain heaven or eternal life and to enter heaven's gates. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he presents to you eternal life by faith, free of charge, that if you would believe in him, that you would be saved. What does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and say? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not by works, so that we cannot boast. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to believe in him and be transformed and follow him with all of your life. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. We see on full display four, four different examples of people uh, that have encountered you. And Lord, we have the privilege to encounter you every day. Lord, I pray that our hearts for you would not grow cold as ice. Buried under laws and rules, buried under knowledge and information, buried under our to-do lists and tasks. But Lord, that we would be passionate. Lord, let's go beyond that. Lord, I pray that we would be so passionate that the people in our lives would notice it. That we would be bold in opposition. That we would talk about you in every area of our life. And Lord, I know that we all fall short And I thank you for a Savior that grants us grace and forgiveness. That if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that we would follow you all of our lives. Lord, that we would surrender to you as Lord, as Master of our lives, and we would follow you to whatever end you would have. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the saints that love people that love your word that love the gospel that love you lord i pray that the attitude would continue forever and lord i pray that we would be known in the community as people that love you love others and that would make disciples 
Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for all those that are tuning in online. I pray for protection for them and for all of us. And I thank you for your life-giving words that you grant us in your scripture. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.